Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special edition of the Hyrule Huddle. This is your boy, Josh Webb, coming to you live on a Tuesday afternoon, and I am pleased to be joined by, from NBC's Roto World, uh, a man who keeps tabs on every college, every player. It's just his job to know stuff. And we're going to talk a little college football. Mr. Thor Nystrom. Thor, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Happy to be here, Josh. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to, to join me. All right, so the first thing I want to get into is the Stanford-USC game. Headed into that game, USC looked like they might might be headed for another loss, just for the simple reason that Stanford had their number. But then USC put on quite a performance and shut them down. From your perspective, what did you see out of USC in that Stanford game? What, what didn't I see? Like, what, what didn't you see, Josh? I mean, it was, it was dominant. And this is coming from the perspective, you know, like you mentioned, I, I cover every team. I watch more college football than is healthy. Um, it's something that I follow year-round. And I have a confession for your listeners. I was on Stanford Plus 7 last week, and I was, I was very confident in the Cardinal. And – I, I, was I thought too. was an utter demolition, utter demolition. Yeah, I, like you, I was confident in the Cardinal. Okay, so what gave you confidence in the Cardinal? Was it a mixture of the fact that they're returning Bryce Love, who's not quite Christian McCaffrey, but the dude showed even in the USC game that he can get yards. They limited him in the second half, but he'd already run for 153. I think that's a good day. He did his part. Um, yep. But uh, their their defense, and, and they finally had a quarterback in Keller Christ, who I thought, given time, this kid can pick anybody apart. There's a reason he was so highly sought after in recruiting. So that's why I thought Stanford would win. Does that jibe with, with your opinion? Yeah, I mean, it was a combination of historical trends. You know, over the past six or seven years, you know, it's pointing that way in, in terms of taking the points with Stanford. Um, so that that was a big thing. And then it was what I saw in week one, you know, when USC was playing West, Western Michigan. They struggled to stop the run. Uh, Darnold struggled a little bit. That that may have been overblown a bit, Darnold's struggles, but he struggled as well. And I just thought, you know, with Bryce Love going against that run defense, if if uh, Western Michigan's third string running back, Levante Bellamy, if he can go over 100 yards on USC, what's Bryce Love going to do to those guys? So that was kind of my thought process. What I think astounds me the most of this game about this game is that USC straight lost a turnover battle. Like, it was miserable. They lost it pretty badly. And somehow, Darnold never got too flustered. He never – he never let, like, through the, through the four interceptions that he's thrown this year, the one thing that I've noticed about him is that when he comes back out on the field, I almost said pitch because I – I don't know why I'm in Manchester city mode for some reason, but when he comes out onto the field, he's able to forget the mistake he just made. We always, they talk about that in NFL broadcasts, like you have to, or college broadcasts, you have to be able to forget your mistakes, have a short-term memory, go back out there. Okay. You threw an interception. No big deal. Go back out there and do the right thing. That seems to be the mantra that this guy lives by. When, when folks are talking about him being a presumptive number one, are they talking about that attitude, or are they talking about ability, or both? 
The both, yeah. The, the attitude's certainly a part of it, and I agree with you. Like he makes a mistake, and he just comes back out, and you know, and and just keeps slaying the opponent. You know, in week one, I would say that only one of those two interceptions was his fault. You know, one of his receivers lost a fifty-fifty ball against Western Michigan, so I, I would only pin one of those on Darnold. But you know, he he was good after that, and against Stanford, he threw those two interceptions. He only had five incompletions total. So outside of those two interceptions, he was on fire and and like you said he just bounced right back like when he throws an interception he just comes out next time like nothing happened so when you look at him as the presumptive quarterback number one and 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 there are a lot of people who are convinced it's going to be Darnold but I'll tell you what man I watched Lamar Jackson play and it's it's pretty clear to me that like Darnold worked on his core which was a big uh Knock on him last year, he didn't have the core strength to push the ball down the field. That's something he's supposedly worked on this year. Lamar Jackson needed to refine his passing game to go with what we already know is the best running quarterback in the game right now. Um, Through two games this year, some of the passes that Lamar Jackson is throwing has me doubting whether – like. When I watch Sam Darnold play, I get it. I get why people love this kid. I get why people are hype on him. I get I get everything. But when I watch Lamar Jackson play, I still feel like he should be the true number one. Is how do you how do you look at the presumptive quarterback number one? And about how long do you think we're going to have this debate with Lamar Jackson and Sam Darnold? Is it going to go all the way to draft day? Yeah, it's, it's going to go to draft eve, or, or probably right up till when uh, Goodell's walking to the podium. Um, I, right now, for me, I would have Darnold number one. Uh, obviously, prototypical size. I, I like the arm strength, reads the field, anticipates. The ball just shoots out of that guy's hand. Solid athlete. He's tough. Um, you know, the thing that's going to get nitpicked in, in the spring is, is that delivery. Um, I, I think concerns about that are are a tad overblown. We've seen guys excel in the NFL with longer deliveries than Darnold, so I'm not not terribly concerned about that. For me, Jackson right now, I think I would have him third. I think I would put him behind Rosen. Uh, love everything about the guy. Obviously love watching him. Um, the athleticism is, is stupid. You know, I double called him a right-handed Michael Vick, and uh, it seems like hyperbole like on the surface, but you watch that guy play, and he – just looks like a right-handed Michael Vick. He's pretty incredible, man. Like, just when he tucks it and runs, he, he it's very Vick-esque in that he, he has the vision of a five-star running back and the ability of, like, a four- or a five-star quarterback. Um, Agreed. This, this kid is just such a patient runner. And even in some of those gaps that he penetrated when he decided he was going to take off against North Carolina – it was ridiculous. Like, this kid just – he knew where to fit himself. Like, it's, it's almost as if he understands run fits better than the defense does. And he's like, well, I'm going to fit myself right through here. Um, yeah, now that you mention it, Rosen is probably going to push Darnold all the way to the end. I'd, I'd forgotten about Josh Rosen just because he was injured last year. But the numbers he's putting up right now, I'm, I'm really – really looking forward to that USC-UCLA game because if he's not injured, that should be one of the best football games in terms of quarterback play all year long. 
What does Darnold need to do to cement himself as the number one? Um, I, I think he needs to work on the delivery a little bit, just because that's going to be the number one thing that people are going to nitpick. Um, outside of that, USC just needs to keep winning, and Darnold just needs to keep playing like he did last week. I mean, everything else is there. All the, all the tools are there. Um, the, the one thing, like I said, that's going to get nitpicked is it's that delivery. Um, people might nitpick that he that he throws too many interceptions, but that might just be an early season knee-jerk thing because of the four early on. Yeah, that's kind of how I look at it. Like, I, I realize that people are going to pick the turnovers apart, but, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of – like, at least two of those interceptions were were sort of 50-50 balls, and, and one of them, yep. he just didn't see the safety. Like, he was he was trying to sneak a ball in, but that's how he was attacking Stanford all game long. And we kind of saw that with the, with the touchdown throws uh, where he had, you know, looping catches by incredible athletes and Deontay Burnett. And then you have Stephen Mitchell at the back of the end zone, kind of reminiscent of, of the, the Rose Bowl. It seemed to me like the game plan for USC was to dink and dunk in those areas where Stanford had gaps in their defense. That's how they were going to attack this team. And so when I look at those interceptions, I feel like they're a product of the game plan. Agreed. Yeah, agreed. I mean, what do you want the guy to do, right? Like, he's facing one of the best, I'd say probably one of the five best secondaries in the NCAA. You know, Stanford's got Elijah Holder and Quentin Meeks at cornerback, both of them. I'd say probably are day two picks, like right now. You know, you're probably talking round two or three, but – it wouldn't be shocking if either of them got in, into round one. They're they're both super good. You have to attack that defense some way, and you have to be super aggressive. You know, Darnold has two great running backs behind him, and he's got talent on the perimeter. You have to try to stretch uh, Stanford deep. You know, you, you have to get them moving back, and then the whole offense is going to work for USC. So I don't mind him taking chances. I don't mind him trying to fit the ball through windows because we've seen time and time again that he can do it. Um, I'm okay with, with the mistakes as long as, like you're mentioning before, he keeps that attitude of, like, I'm just going to bounce back if, if I have a mistake and as long as they aren't back-breaking and they haven't been so far. So, I'm, I, yeah, I couldn't be higher on Darnold. So let's talk about the upcoming Texas game. Oddly enough, ESPN seems intent on billing it as a revenge game. Um which yep. really just seems silly. Uh, this is a, a week three game with a team that's one and one and a team that's two and zero. Oh, in both of these programs, as I wrote for my or for in my Athlon piece that uh, dropped today, both of these programs are just trying to get back to that level of respectability where they were at in 2006. Forget the revenge about it. Like they just want to be back to that national elite in college in the college football scheme. Um. All right, so what do you make of the Texas quarterback situation? There are two names up for uh, the, the the possible candidacy. Where do you come down on them, and, and who do you think is more likely to start? Are we going to see Shane, or are we going to see Ellinger? What do, you, what do you think? This was a question that got asked twice, so I feel like we should answer it. Oh, 100%, yeah. As of right now when we're recording, we're recording early Tuesday evening. That's completely up in the air as to who's going to start. 
my read on it, like everything I've gotten from Texas, is that if Bouchelle is healthy, he is going to start. Um, Bouchelle sat out last week against San Jose State with a bruised throwing shoulder. I, I can't tell you how that shoulder is now. I just know if, if it's sound, I'm pretty sure that they're, they're going to roll with him. And, frankly, I think that that's the correct decision. He's going to give them the best chance to win. I, whereas I look at Ellinger and I say, okay, this is the kid that's, that, that could be good, maybe not ready yet. I don't know that he gives them a chance to win. Where I think Texas can make progress in this game is to try and do the one thing. And Big 12 teams actually have been okay at it. Um, but the one thing that, that, that USC does and does well is, and, and you've seen the articles, you got the three-headed monster in the backfield, starting with uh, uh, Ronald Jones. Then you've got Stephen Carr, who just is – I love Stephen inc- Carr. Uh, he's so incredible to watch. Um, yes. And, and, and then you've got the litany of four- and five-star backs behind him um, who, who can come in and contribute. I think Vave – uh, Malapai is going to end up being the set third back in that rotation by the time the year's over. I think he's sort of the guy that USC is centered on as as a potential future of the running back position, and it makes sense. The kid was – they stole him from Oregon who recruited him as a running back, and if Oregon is recruiting you as a running back, then you're probably pretty damn good. Yep. So – when you look at Texas and you look at USC, you got one team that's one and one. You got one team that's two and zero oh and riding all of the hype. How does Texas compete in this game? Okay, so I, I, Texas is going to have to do a couple things offensively to even have a chance, right? Like right now, as we're looking at it, Texas is about a fifteen and a half to sixteen point underdog. So they, they're going to have to do some things to even have a shot to pull this this upset off on the road. Number one obviously limit mistakes. They they can't be turning the ball over. And that's a big reason why I'd rather have Bouchelle in there than Ellinger. Bouchelle's a year older. He's a true sophomore. Ellinger's a, a true freshman. Bouchelle is the pocket passer of the two. Um, he's smaller, but he's still the pocket passer of the two. I would trust him more throwing against that secondary, um, USC secondary. I think number two, they need to get Chris Warren going. Um, Chris Warren, he missed most of last year. Um, didn't do a ton in the opener, but he was great last week against San Jose State. Um, USC's run defense, as you know, has had issues in the early going. It, it seems right now to be the only chink in their armor. Uh, yep. They got ripped by, just strangely ripped by Western Michigan, which I, I still really don't know what happened there. It wasn't as surprising that Bryce Love was as explosive as he was on Saturday. It, it didn't turn out to make much of a difference. You know, USC romped anyways, but um, – Getting Chris Warren going is a key for for Texas, and you're going to see a lot of Kyle Porter too. Kyle Porter was a, a former blue chip prospect, true sophomore. Uh, he hasn't really lived up to the to the hype yet, but you're going to see him on the field too. So, getting Warren and Porter going is very important. And then the other thing is, Texas has to get big plays down the field. And you know, USC plays that press man coverage. Um, they are prone two big plays down the field, or they have been in the past. And Texas is going to have to figure out a way to create explosive plays without allowing the defense to create explosive plays against them, without turning the ball over. It, is it possible? Well, yeah, it, it is possible. But, listen, I, I wouldn't be terribly confident going in if my, my sophomore quarterback 
had a bruised throwing shoulder. You have no idea as of Tuesday if he can play. And if it's not him, it's going to be Ellinger. And Ellinger is more of the dual threat of the two. Ellinger is going to be good down the road. But, uh, man, I, I wouldn't want to play him in that spot. So that's kind of my read of it. I, you know, I kind of feel like it's the same situation last year. I think coming into the year, Helton had a decision to make, and everybody knew that Darnold was right there on Max Brown's heels. Like, anybody who followed that situation knows how damn close it was um, coming into the season starter. And what a lot of people said, or I said, was like, look, if Sam Darnold is pushing Max Brown that far, then Sam Darnold needs to be the one who starts. Like, he just needs to yep. be the starter. Like, if if he's already at the level of the guy that you have, and we know Max Brown had peaked, then it makes no sense to go with the guy who has no no ceiling. Like, he, he is what he is, and we're seeing that at Pitt. Max Brown is who he is. Um, yep. I, 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 I just – I feel like the only reason Clay Helton didn't do it is because it was Alabama, and he looked at it somewhat like you're looking at this Texas game and saying, I wouldn't want to put a true freshman in on that. Like, I wouldn't want to do that to Darnold. And that's kind of why I feel like it took four games for Darnold to get in there, um, just because th- there, there came a point, well, Helton needed to do something or he's going to lose his job. But, you know, it just – I feel like it's the same situation. You have a guy for the future, but you don't want to put him in and have him beat up by USC and then lose the confidence he has, especially if he's definitely one for the future. For sure. I I guess the only similarities I would see is I wouldn't conflate Bouchelle with Brown. I I think that does a, a disservice to Bouchelle. And I haven't seen enough of Ellinger to know if it's fair to conflate him to to a Darnold type, certainly not in terms of, like, pro prospects. You know, Ellinger is more of that that dual threat guy, even though he does have, like, a a thick, sturdy sort of build. Um, But I I definitely see what you're saying. I I know that there is sort of, like, a contingent of the Texas fan base that just wants them to roll with Ellinger. You know, the idea idea being it's Tom Herman's first season. You know, we sort of know what we have a little bit in Shane Bouchelle. The ceiling of this team gets higher uh, with Ellinger down the road. Um, but, you know, in a spot like this, when you're playing a, a really good defense, you're, you're going to want the guy like Bouchelle. So th- that's just what I'd be more comfortable with. And I, I think Tom Herman and crew, it's the same for them. Yeah, I didn't necessarily mean to conflate him, so to speak. I mean, Sam Darnold was only a three-star when he came out, a, visit, a ranking that, that everybody's sure. going to revisit and say we missed it. But so, so was Mariota. Mariota was a three-star coming out. Yeah, so you you have these guys who are predicted to be okay and then they turn out to be world beaters in the case and it's until we know what Ellinger brings, it is you're right, as you said, unfair to, to sort of conflate him with Sam Darnold because Sam Darnold's already taken that next step. Ellinger needs to get there. I was more looking at it from the the aspect of when Darnold hadn't played a game before we knew what Darnold was. It's that temptation to go with the guy who has the bigger upside, but if you put them in too early or into a game that's that's going to be too big for them, which I felt that the Alabama game would have been too big for Darnold. I just I I feel like the confidence that he has now is as a result of not being on the end of a 56 to you know, six hammering by by the tide. 
I, I just think that it enabled him to grow at a different rate that worked for him. Um, that's not going to work for everybody, but for some reason it worked for Darnold. And, and I, I don't know. I, I remain impressed by the kid, but I, I'm kind of with you. I don't think he's reached his ceiling yet, and it'll be interesting to see what happens when he does. That kid might be unplayable when he reaches his ceiling. But um, I'm going to get a prediction from you on the USC-Texas game. Um, and, and what you think is going to happen, and then we'll move on to the college football playoff before we close this thing out. Um, what do you think is ultimately going to happen on Saturday? Uh, you know, I, I, I do an against the spread column every week, so I, I sort of think about these games in terms of what, what the spread is. I, I think I would be more apt to side with USC minus 15 or 16. Uh, I would want to know uh, the status of Bouchel. If if Bouchel was a hundred percent, I I could see making the argument for Texas plus the points. You know, you would have Bouchel. Chris Warren seems to be uh, back healthy. Um, they they have some athletes outside that that can give you problems. Colin Johnson. They have this this kid named Hemphill Maps that sort of came out of nowhere in the summer, and the coaching staff's really high on him. Devin Duvernay, a former Baylor commit, is a burner down the field. So you could see them, you know, maybe exploiting some of, like, USC's tendencies to be, like, overly aggressive on defense. But the fact that Bouchelle is compromised and with some of the issues that we saw against Maryland two weeks ago when, when Bouchelle was actually uh, playing, you know, they, they could not keep Maryland defenders out of the backfield. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't really a surprise that, that Bouchelle got hurt. I, I think Maryland had eight tackles for loss, uh, and I believe they had five sacks when they upset the, the Longhorns in week one. So uh, that would concern me going up against USC's front. Um, I, I'm, I'm not great at pronouncing his name yet, but uh, I was so impressed with Uchenna Nuosu. Uchenna Nuosu. What a player. Man, uh, Chris isn't going to get that guy out of his nightmares for – no. years, maybe for the duration of his entire life, that him going against Texas' offensive line concerns me. You know, Porter Gustin, I, USC's just loaded up front. I, I, yeah, I, I have my concerns there. <laughs> yeah, as soon as you started talking about what they gave up to Maryland, my mind drifted to Porter Gustin, Rasheen Green, and Cam Smith, and I was like, well, maybe this won't be yep. such a taxing game, you know. Uh, it, and that's the thing, man. It, 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 I feel like Texas's best chance, I agree with you, and then let's move on. I feel like Texas's best chance is is to come at them and hit them with the explosive plays uh, when they can, yep. take, take their shots when they can. USC is a team that's not very good against the spread historically. Um, they're just one of those teams that underperforms or, or decides to call off the dogs more quickly than other teams do uh, when the score gets out of hand. So uh, – I don't. I, I think Texas can can beat the spread. I don't think they'll beat SC. I would be shocked if they beat SC, but I will take Texas plus the points in that game. Um, looking at the larger national picture, we got a really definitive win on Saturday, last Saturday, and it was actually a win that I predicted on my podcast with Kevin McGuire of NBC Sports. Um, 
I was one of the few people who felt like Oklahoma was going to go into Ohio State. And I brought this up on the podcast. I said, look, everybody thinks that Ohio State at the at the horseshoe is this unconquerable task. I'm like, Matt Barkley went in there and beat them. Like, they they just have a mm-hmm. weird history of losing games at the horseshoe. It's, it's, it's just an odd history that they have against really good opponents, and they drop these games. I felt like this was going to be one of those games. Ohio State started out strong, but I think that the, the overall depth that Oklahoma had enabled them to, to pull out the victory. And, and right now Oklahoma is looking as good as any team in the conference, but so is Oklahoma State. And Bedlam may serve as a de facto Big 12 title game before a Big 12 title game. We don't know. Um, yeah. But going through the Power Five conferences, what have you seen through three weeks? Oh, man. You know, in, in terms of if you're asking specifically about, about the playoff race, um, I think obviously Alabama is like your front runner right now. Um, for me, I, frankly, I think USC is number two. After what I saw last week, if you can go strength on strength with, with Stanford and beat them that badly – to, to me, you just you jump right up there with Alabama. That that, that was ridiculous. Um, you know, it's like watching like a UFC fighter who like wants to beat the other fighter like at his own game. You know, like I I, I don't know if you're much of a UFC guy, but I remember, uh, how about um, how about when GSP beat the hell out of Fitch because he didn't want to go to the ground and wrestle with him? So the the two decided they were going to have a stand up striking match. And <laughs> is that sort of what you're talking about? Yeah, you know, I, I was thinking specifically about uh, Spider Silva when, you know, against against Stonin when they were saying, like, okay. oh, you know, right. Spider can't go to the ground with Chael, and, and Spider's like, really, like, watch this. Or, you know, John Jones did some of this against Cormier. And, you know, when you're watching a UFC fight and it's like the favorite is going up against this guy with, like, this very unique sort of, you know, strategy or, like, the, the way that he fights. And the guy who's the champion is like, oh, really? I, I can do that better than him. And he proceeds to beat him at his own game. I There's nothing that's more impressive to me in terms of watching it. And that was kind of what USC did to Stanford. You know, it's like, oh, you guys are really physical. You're you're very good from a technical aspect, really. Watch this. And they just they just dropped it on him. Um, you know, outside of the, the run defense, obviously needs to get short up, and and hopefully it will. I, you know, I I'm fairly confident in Pendergast, so I'm not not too surprised about that, or not too worried about that going forward. Um, I think I'd have Oklahoma three. Um, you know, a lot of the reasons that you were mentioning, the offense is still just sick. Um, Mayfield, you know, is top three Heisman guy right now. He's probably not going to win it because I I really can't see Lamar Jackson, you know, giving that up at this point. But Oklahoma's great. Um, and, and the defense is what has really impressed me as far as Oklahoma goes. I I think I was too low on Oklahoma coming into this season. I I just thought that the the defense would struggle against really good offenses, and they were just so easily to take. It was so easy for them to take away some of the stuff that Ohio State wanted to do. I just didn't expect that, and I was on Ohio State. I you know, I, I wasn't like you, Josh. I, I was wrong about that game. I, I thought that Ohio State would sort of be able to impose what they wanted to do offensively on Oklahoma, and then Oklahoma would get on the ropes, and then, you know, like, you know, that they would have to ask Mayfield to throw down the field a bunch and get out of, like, what they wanted to do out of their base offense, and that is not what happened. Basically, the reverse of what I thought was going to happen is, is what ended up happening. So I think you got to put them up there. And what Oklahoma sort of has going for them, 
like in some of these elite teams, like when you start like sort of projecting it into a playoff type pool, a team like Alabama has consistently through the years had trouble with teams that run the spread offense and have creative dual threat quarterbacks. Yep. And that's just that's just describing Oklahoma. You know, like when you're talking about they Alabama struggled against the Johnny football, Texas A M teams, they struggle against they struggle against Ole Miss, you know, with, with Chad Kelly, et cetera, teams like that. And and Oklahoma just sort of fits that that prototype to a glove. So I I actually like Oklahoma better like in, in a sort of playoff scenario, then I think I like them if I was just sort of like thinking about the teams that I like the most, because I actually think that Clemson is probably a better team than Oklahoma, like apples to apples. But if, you know, if, if they were going into the playoff, uh, I would like Oklahoma's chances more because I think that they could exploit some things that, uh, that those better defenses are just going to take away, you know, like USC going up against Alabama, apples to apples, you're going to have to go strength on strength on them. And USC certainly can. But then when you're talking about a team like Clemson, uh, you know, I, I just kind of find it hard to believe that Clemson will be able to consistently move the ball on Alabama or USC for that matter if they can't, if they can't do it on the ground. Um, so, like yeah, that, that's Auburn kind of the way I see it. Like right? Like that Auburn game for Clemson was pretty telling because it's not like – 100%. Gus Malzahn has 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 had these. Well, actually, he's gone from having amazing offenses to having pretty damn good defenses. But it's uh, yep. it, much to the chagrin of Auburn fans. I the reason that I didn't like Ohio State is because I saw a stat on JT Barrett that on throws of of ten plus yards, like the dude is chilling at forty eight point three percent for his career on throws that are 10 yards or longer, like that just doesn't give me any hope in a quarterback in, in a game where you're going up against a team like Oklahoma that maybe we didn't realize they were as good as they were, but as a team actually are as good as they are. Um, that's why I felt Ohio oh, State was, was, was susceptible to this loss. And I thought, I'm, I'm with you. I really like Clemson. How can you not like him because of that defense? And, and I truly do think they'll get the offense going. But right now, it's, you know, Deshaun, Deshaun Watson's not there, you know, and he's not mm-hmm. walking back through that door. It's, it, I believe his name is Kelly. I, 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 Kelly it, Bryant. Yep. Yeah, Kelly Bryant. I, I, it, it's his time to step up. And I don't know what game he does that, but Louisville's got – or Clemson has a hell of a schedule, and SC has a hell of a schedule. Like, I feel like Alabama, just because they tend to beat up on everyone anyway, they're not really afraid of anyone in the SEC, Alabama has a playoff road ticket. So does Oklahoma, if they can beat uh, the the Cowboys, who I think will be the yep. only team to challenge them. Uh but USC, I, I see so many potential pitfalls. Like, look, I know Wazoo isn't amazing, but USC has a, has a history of losing those these weird off-the-wall weekday games against inferior teams. And Mike Leach, they've lost to twice. Um, so this game is a Friday night in Pullman. It has a recipe for disaster. Um, but I look at UCLA, I look at Washington, and I say there are potential losses on USC's schedule. What, what, when you look at 
the schedules these teams have to play, do you still have the same amount of confidence when you look at the teams that that you're saying are top four right now? We're trying yeah, to project I, I, that. For sure, yeah, to, to an extent. Obviously, Oklahoma has the easiest road there, you know, like like you're mentioning. So that's, that's sort of a feather in their cap. Uh, USC does have some of those pitfall games. Like, you know, you, you were mentioning two of them. You didn't even get that Notre Dame. And that game's probably going to go under the radar now because Notre Dame lost to Georgia. But Notre Dame was right there with Georgia. That, that was a 50-50 game. Notre Dame's really good this year. Like, or I, I, I think that they're going to be really good this year. You know, I, I think that's an eight and four team at worst. You, you know, even with a with a really good schedule. So, I, I think that's another tough game. But yeah, that uh, that Wazoo spot that you're mentioning, very, very interesting. It's it's going to be a wonky game, and then you start to think, well, what if the weather, what if the weather's bad? You know, like what if it's exactly. what if it's misting? What if it gets cold? What if it's just crap weather and it's raining, you know? Like, Luke Falk goes out there and showers in that, but USC does not. Like, it's going to be problematic for the Trojans, and whenever they have those type of games, the team just sort of goes into this absent-minded mode of, I've forgotten how to play football, and it just permeates. Like, you can go back to Mark Sanchez. I still think that 2008 USC team got hosed on being put in the national title but you look at the game that they lost, and it was a Thursday night game to Oregon State on the road. And, and, and that Mike Riley team, I think, would go on to be 8-4. and four. Same as Ole Miss, by the way, which doesn't get brought up enough, um, who Florida lost to. And then you had Tim Tebow's famous speech. Um, but, uh, yeah, I look at USC's schedule, and I'm not – seeing them play Stanford gave me a great amount of confidence – but I don't know how much confidence I have in, in a team of not professionals. Like, if this were a professional team, I would expect them to carry on. But this is a group of college kids, and nobody knows how they're going to act from one week to the next. How the, Cam Smith being out against Western Michigan basically allowed them to run all over USC. Now, think about that. Yep. One player being out basically gave Western Michigan a game plan that worked for the entire game. And what happens if Cam Smith tears his ACL again or is injured or if Porter Gustin tears a bicep or something, you know? I look at these guys and I look at the fact that SC is playing a schedule without a bye, and it just doesn't give me hope that they'll end up in the playoffs. Like, I mean, are you – why do you think SC will be in the playoff? Talk me off my ledge. Yeah, I'll talk you off the ledge because they're just better than every team in the Pac-12. I, I think is the easiest way to put it. They, you know, Darnold is probably well, I shouldn't say probably, but he may be the second best player in college football. I, I think I would take Jackson over him, um, you know, in a one-off or whatever. But and then you have two stud running backs. You have athletes all across the perimeter. I like the offensive line and the. The defensive talent is great. They have to figure out the run defense, though. And I think if if there was one concern that I would have, you know, if, if there was one thing where I wouldn't be able to speak, talk you off the ledge with, I think it would be that run defense. And I think it would leave you susceptible to an upset against a team that was able to, you know, that had some road graders up front. And the game that just specifically jumps off the page to me, it's that game at Notre Dame. Like, Notre Dame might have the best offensive line in college football. 
Josh Adams is a solid running back. They have they have good backup running backs, both four stars. Brandon Wimbush is a dual threat guy. Mm-hmm. You would like to think that that by that point USC will have figured this stuff out. But if they haven't, you know, at that point you're talking. Let's see, what is that week? Week seven I think it's or a, so. Yeah, and, it's a little bit earlier than it than normally is. They've they they moved Notre Dame up. They've typically been one of the last few games of the year. But I guess USC is thinking ahead. <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. The uh, you know the thing with the lack of bye week. Uh, at least the way that I view it now, I I think it might be a little bit overstated. Like, I, I think Clay Helton and his staff are, are super smart people, and, you know, there, there was a lot made in the offseason where they were going to hit less in, in camp to sort of, like, you know, prepare for this season where they were going to have to go 12 straight weeks. And um, what, one of your listeners uh, gave us a question on Twitter about uh, Bruce Feldman's body blow theory. And for people that don't know about the body blow theory, yeah, I'm glad uh, you brought a couple years up. ago, yeah, Feldman came up with this theory that had to do with um, the week after the Stanford game. And he sort of theorized that the team, you know, you would play Stanford one week, and then the week after you played Stanford, you would always play Forks because, you know, Stanford was, like, very physical or whatever, and it would sort of take, like, two weeks to get over it or whatever. And I think the year that uh, Feldman came up with it, I think it was, like, the teams the week after they played Stanford went, like, three and seven or, you know, like whatever it was. So it was, like, there was some support for it. Um, I, I don't know how it went the last couple of years, but as to the question of, like, do I think that this line is too high in USC's favor because of the body blow theory, I would say no. I, I don't buy into that for in this spot for a couple of different reasons. Number one, like I was just mentioning, USC didn't have nearly as much hitting in their fall camp, you know, to, to try to sort of stay fresher. Uh, you know, for, for October and November without having a buy. And I think you saw that that manifested not against Western Michigan. It, it sort of backfired against Western Michigan because it seemed like Western Michigan was the team that was, like, super-duper ready to hit. And they came out and they punched USC in the mouth. And, you know, USC was just like, oh, I, I didn't know that they could do this. But it, it seemed like, you know, they sort of got their feedback under them against Stanford. And they were very – very clearly the fresher team USC was in that game. They were the more physical team. And, you know, maybe I'm just Which is weird, because Stanford this. had a bye. Exactly. Like that's the weird totally. part. Totally, 100%. I mean, teams, I, I forget what it was when the stat came out that USC didn't have a bye, but I think somebody went and ran the schedules and, like, of the Pac-12 teams that USC is playing, like only one or two teams don't have a bye scheduled uh, b- the week before USC comes. Like every single Pac-12 mm. team goes by than USC. Like it's very intentional. It's the Alabama thing, you know? And, and that's why I'm like, all right, so not only does USC not have a bye, their opponents have two weeks to get ready for them in most cases. So that the what they did to Stanford, you actually are talking me off my ledge because Stanford came in with a two week plan and got punched in the mouth. So, yep. Well, we'll see. All right. Well, all right. Let's let's wrap this up with this. Looking, we've talked about teams right now. Let's look ahead to the end of the season and play this thing out. How do you see the New York Six? What do you? Who do you see emerging into these New York Six games? 
Oh, the uh, in, in terms of the bowl games? Yeah, just the New York six, the playoff, and then whatever, either cotton or orange, whichever ones are, are looped out, I always forget. Um, but, yeah, just, just the New Year's six bowls that people care about. Sure, well, okay. I guess we'll start, of course, with the playoff. And now I'm, I'm sort of caught off guard because I had Ohio State. I, I'm, I'm almost, like, afraid to, like, you know, <laughs> sort of divulge this, but I had Ohio State number one in the preseason. That's obviously not going to work out for me. Um, so I, I think, you know, you, you would go Alabama there now. Um, then, okay, so they Alabama would be my number one seed. I think, I think my number two seed would be USC. I, I think I like them the second most, right? You know, like, I don't think that they're as susceptible to um, an upset as some of these other teams. Um, Oklahoma... I do think I like Oklahoma just because they look so good in you know in, in what was going to be their hardest game of, of, of at least the regular season. So I I think I would take them, and then uh, I, the ACC uh, is so I, I guess, hard. Yeah, it's it's super hard. I mean, like you know, if if you're gonna play chalk, you're gonna go with Clemson. Um, I know, think like Oregon wants to could say, bust I, in. I'm looking at Oregon oh, and saying, I, I you know what? They don't play they don't play a lot of teams due to Pac twelve scheduling and I don't think Washington's gonna be as good as people have them. But you look at Oregon and say, Okay, Willie Taggart is is doing some impressive things and most people have Justin Herbert as one of the best quarterbacks in the conference, even above Sam Darnold. There are people who feel like Justin Herbert it, it his NFL upside is even higher than Sam Darnold. I'll leave that to people who know that stuff because, I, I don't know, the, the kid's pretty damn good. But I look at Oregon and I say, is is this not a year where instead of trying to pick a team from every conference, like I think the ACC is going to cannibalize itself this year. Louisville mm-hmm. is too good. Florida State's too good. Clemson's too good. You're going to see some teams that beat like Clemson and then lose to Louisville or something. Like, I just I, that's how I think the ACC is going to play out. I, I fourteen team conference, so it, it'll be interesting, I guess. But I mean, is there a possibility that one conference puts in two teams? And if so, who might that conference be? Well, it, it would definitely be the SEC if it happens, and it's going to require what, one of my uh, a dark horse team that I do like. You know, I, I mentioned Miami; they're a dark horse team I like. In, in the SEC, it's LSU. I, I like LSU a lot, um, you know, I, and, and I think that they just have such a smart plan. You know, Orgeron surrounding himself with Matt Canada and Dave Aranda on defense. I, I think that Matt Canada hire was one of the best of the offseason, not, you know, not just for coordinators but for head coaches as well. I, yeah. You know, it, it seems like he, he could be able to fix that. That thing, you know, Nate Peterman before last season was on nobody's radar, and Matt Canada essentially – I mean, he, he sort of gave Nate Peterman an NFL career, in, in my opinion. Um, if, if he can do anything close to that with, with Danny Etling, you already have guys, their receivers are, are all high recruits. I, I think LSU could do something. Now, do I think that they can upset Alabama? Uh, probably not. But if it happened, then they would be the second team that could, you know, knock down the door into the playoff. 
Yeah, you know, it's funny, too, because I've talked about this with Orgeron. You know, people who aren't in the know don't really realize that Orgeron, believe it or not, is not good with X's and O's. Like, he is not Correct. an X's and O's guy. He'll flat admit this. And when he – he was trying to get a job at another school. I won't say which school, but he flat said, like, look, my plan is – I'm going to hire the best damn offensive coordinator and the best damn de- defensive coordinator I can, and I can take care of the rah-rah stuff that all the coaches need to do, and I know how to oversee a game plan. I have enough experience doing that. So when you bring up Matt Canada and, and, and you bring up uh, – who was the defensive coordinator again? Uh, Dave Aranda, uh, who they pulled yep. over from Wisconsin in the year after Wisconsin beat USC – uh, there was some talk about whether Aranda would become USC's defensive coordinator because he grew up in Redondo Beach. Well, it turns out that Ed Orgeron is still plugged in and pays attention to USC thinking, but he, he hired Aranda. I, that's not why he did it, but I'm just going to say it anyway. So you look at those offensive and defensive coordinators that Orgeron hires, and it fits what he told this other school he would do. Like, I'm going to hire the best that I can, and through two weeks, Orgeron actually looks like he might be on a path to redemption rather than, you know, failing to get enough, failing to work out at another head, head coaching job. Totally. Yeah. A, a thousand percent agreed. So last two, uh, do you think LSU then, they would be your favorite, let's say, for an at-large? They would be my favorite for an at-large if you were talking about a second team from a conference. You know, like I don't think, for instance, if Washington loses, I don't think that Washington is is, is going to get in because of their non-conference schedule and, and everything like that. And then you start to look at, like, the other teams. If Oklahoma State suffered a loss and, you know, it was like a, a one-loss Oklahoma State against a one-loss SEC team, the SEC team's getting in. So I, I just think that that's probably your best shot if it's a one-loss team. Now, there's a couple ACC, well, maybe just one ACC team that would fit this. If Clemson lost a game and then, you know, you had a scenario where it was like, you know, two undefeated teams and then there was like a series of one-loss teams, I could see a team like Clemson getting in. But there's not too many scenarios where a one-loss team – I suppose you could say if, if Ohio State ran the table from here on out, um, they could be it as well. But, um, yeah, I – I like LSU more than a lot of people do. So, yeah, they, they would kind of be my dark horse, I guess. All right. So how about the group of five? This is a conference that seen, or this is a group of five conferences that are much maligned. They haven't had a win. So, well, actually, that's not true. Boise State did beat Arizona in the Fiesta Bowl. So, as usual, Boise State <laughs> represents the group of five lone win in these postseason uh, affairs. Is Boise State going to do it again? I know they just pushed Washington to triple overtime, but they, um, I think, is Rippon out for the year? Did they announce that, or is he? was that just a concussion? Not Yeah, n- not that I know of. Uh, okay. Yeah, it, it seemed like it was an injury-ineffectiveness, but that, that situation is very strange to me. I, I went to undergrad at Kansas, and I've seen Montel Cothar, who's their who's now uh, the backup at Boise State. Mm-hmm. I saw Montel Cozart play the last, like, three years, and if he had not left Kansas as a grad transfer, he would have been third on their depth chart. You're talking the Kansas Jayhawks, and now he's being put in over Brett Ripien. Uh, it, it's got to be an injury kind of a thing, but uh, 
yeah, it's it's just strange to watch Montel Cozart outplay Rippy, and that that gives me some pause. Yeah, that was really weird. I don't I don't know how, but like I, I this Rippian came in was one of the most highly touted Boise State quarterbacks since Kellen Moore. Like people thought that Rippian was going to have a more like uh, career. I don't think, for the record, anybody yep. is going to have a more like career in Boise State wishing for somebody to come in and replicate that. They're going to wait for a while. That's sort of a once-in-a-generation thing at your school, um, totally. unless you play at Alabama. But uh, uh, who do you think will be the group of fives team in the playoff? Uh, I, I think I'm going to have to play chalk here and say South Florida, despite all their uh, struggles to this point, you know, they've, they've had all sorts of issues like putting away like San Jose state. And, uh, in week two is it they play Stony Brook or like somebody like that. Um, but they, you know, USF has the most talent, I think of, of the group of five teams. Um, and they play the easiest schedule of the teams that would like, you know, be a fit for what you're talking about. Cause you're either going to have to go undefeated or maybe, you know, one loss if if everyone else gets a loss as well. And some of those other teams that you start looking at, you start to wonder, right? Like Boise State already has a loss. Um, you can't just really assume that they're going to run the table from here on out. Um, Toledo is a team that I like a lot, but Toledo has to play at Miami. Um, that's by far their hardest game. You know, outside of that, it's, it's a lot of max stuff. But um, you're probably not going to win at Miami. Uh the odds that USF goes undefeated, it's just far higher than the other group of five teams. And it's not because of what we've seen so far. It's because of Quinn Flowers plus the schedule. Yeah, you know, it, USF to me seems like the team to, to go with. I I think uh, – I don't know why people were going with uh, uh, Lane Kiffin and FAU. Like, I just – I don't think Lane Kiffin is – uh, all right, well, never mind. That's going to be a tire fire. Yeah, it's going to be a tire fire. Yeah, it's, I just, I don't, I think Lane Kiffin's a coordinator. I truly do, but we'll see. Um, yeah, I, I, I remain convinced that USF is, is probably the favorite, especially after Boise State lost to Washington State. Had they had that victory and then ran the table, or even ran with a one loss because San Diego State is the conference champion and San Diego State are yep. still really good. Um, it, it it would be interesting to see how Boise State would fit into it, but um, I, I agree with you on USF. Now, as far as the teams that will play them, do you think like you had Ohio State? Are you are you can Ohio State? make a New Year's Six game, or do you think it's going to go to Michigan? Because I feel like the New Year's Six games are going to be slotted with Pac-12, SEC, and maybe the only other Big 12 school that can make a New Year's Six game is coming for, uh, or is uh, Oklahoma State. But by, by virtue of the fact that Oklahoma and Oklahoma State play each other, I think that'll be good enough for the committee to eliminate one of them from, from playoff pictures. So, um who who do you think sneaks in as as the uh, as the at large teams? Yeah, I could see, I could totally see USF playing Oklahoma State in the Cotton Bowl. I that game would just make sense to me, and I I think that that would be super fun. So, you know, we could we we could slot that one in. Um, I'm not I, honestly, I, I'm not as high on Michigan as as some other people. I um, 
I mean, you know, certainly they could get in, and perhaps they're even favored to get in to, to one of those games. Um, I, I just have my questions about them. Their their defense is great, uh, but you know, when when Ty Ty Isaac dash Chris Evans is your starting running back, and Wilton Spate's accuracy, it's becoming a joke at this point. You know, like the the book on beating Wilton Spate now, it's just blitz him. Right, like blitz him, blitz him, blitz him, and he gets flustered, and and his accuracy goes away. And I was reading a story today where, you know, he was saying like he's going to go back to the fundamentals, and you know, he just needs to set his base, and he knows that he has issues against the blitz, but you know, if he sets his base, his accuracy will improve. And it's like, well, you just come to that realization now, or was it a failure to implement it before? Like, obviously, if you know, like if you're not sort of receding against the blitz, your accuracy is going to go up, you know, but. um I, I I don't know I'm I, I'm down on them because of that offense I, I think it's going to lead to problems against you know solid teams and Florida obviously wasn't them wasn't one of them so you know I I think I would toss LSU into another one um, into one of those those games I toss Penn State into one of those games yeah we haven't um, talked about you know, the Nittany Lions do, how do you like them in the Big Ten are they a team that could win the entire conference totally. Yeah, you know, especially after we saw Oklahoma exploit all those holes on Ohio State. Uh, you know, I don't know if you want to say that Penn State is the favorite now to win that conference, but um, certainly they have their, the their stock is up. They have Definitely. the offense and I think the defense to win that conference. And anytime you look at Trace McSorley and Saquon Barkley, and I don't think when you, when you look across, because you're right, you have to look at the other tandems and it's, it's nice at 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 uh, Ohio State. JT Barrett's in there, but as I've you know brought up with some stats, he doesn't have a lot of success downfield. He's he's sort of a he's he's probably not a, an NFL quarterback. I mean, if you have that much accuracy issues with with downfield throws, you're probably not even going to get looked at seriously, um, unless it's something you really work on in the off season. But uh, yeah, I don't. I kind of feel like Penn State, if they play defense, if they bring it every week, if they beat Ohio State last year, this is a team that could that could land in the playoff as another one of those undefeated or one loss. Because I feel like one losses will be able to get in. Like I think we're going to have a year of one losses. Like you, you know, we've we've just gone through so many schedules, and it's like well, this team's probably going to run the table and this team might, but I feel like there are a lot of potential pitfalls. So if there aren't a lot of one-losses, then I'll be wrong here. But I think Penn State's a team that if they're a one-loss in the Big Ten with Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State, that could be something that's not that big of a deal. We, I mean, do you – do you feel like one loss is an eliminator? Are we already at that point in, no. in, in the season? No, no. Absolutely not. No. Yeah. And, and, and that's one reason why you, you know, it would be ill-advised to just jump off the Ohio State bandwagon at this point. And I, I, I know that, you know, coming off the way that they play, the propensity would be to do just that. But um, I, I completely agree with you. I, I think the playoff field will be populated with a minimum of two teams that have a loss. And, you know, it's probably going to be closer to three yeah, I, I agree. I, yeah, one loss, not an eliminator. 
All right, so what do you have as your national championship game? Who Who's going to beat whom in the in the one versus four, and who's going to beat whom in the two versus three? So if I was going to go Alabama-Clemson, definitely Alabama. Um, you know, Clemson's going to have to go strength on strength with them, and, you know, it, it would be a very low-scoring game. But, I, yeah, I just I, – I wouldn't like Clemson's – chances there. I wouldn't like Kelly Bryant and like, you know, CJ Fuller and those guys. I, I just don't know if they have enough on offense to to to, to pull an upset against Alabama. So I go Alabama there. If I was going USC Oklahoma as the two three, um I would go USC over over Oklahoma. Uh you know, Oklahoma stock is up, but uh I, I still do have my questions. You know, you, you brought up the the issues that JT Barrett has and, you know, you could sort of view what happened last week as sort of um, a schematic win um, as opposed to perhaps a, a true talent domination of Oklahoma's defense over Ohio State's offense. And, uh, you know, when, when you're facing an offense like USC's, you can't make USC play left-handed like on offense. Like, what, what are you going to do? You know, you're going you're gonna to tell Darnold to beat you? Then you're going to lose. Are you going to tell Ronald Jones and Stephen Carr that they have to beat you? You're going to lose. So, you know, the uh, yeah, it, anyway, I, I would go with USC. And then, you know, if you're talking USC-Alabama, that would be a game for the ages. Um, oh, my gosh. I, I don't know. I'm getting excited even thinking about it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I might take USC. It would be fun if the, uh, those two teams would just go strength on strength. I I think those are the best two teams in the nation. I I, I can't wait. But, yeah, I, I, I might side USC at this point. There's a long way to go. It's, yeah, I agree. There is a long way to go, and I would have Alabama in any title game. I, I think at this point Alabama is almost a foregone conclusion for most experts. Yep. Like the tide just they, – they know what they're doing, and it's, it's a process there, and it's a process they have down. Um, so, yep. cool. Uh, you – what do you have coming up? I like to, at the end of every podcast, I like to give my guests the opportunity to talk about work that they have coming up or where people can find them on Twitter, so on and so forth. Uh, this is your time to draw attention to anything you would like, even charities. <laughs> give money to St. Jude. Give give money to the people in Houston. Give money to uh, the, the victims of hurricanes. They're way more important than my stuff. Um, my... Uh, I, I have a column that comes out every Thursday and against the spread column. Um, check that out at Roto World. And uh, my Twitter handle is at ThorKU, ThorKU, some people call me. So that's about all I got to plug. Um, check us out on Roto World. We, we're very good at covering college football news. So if you're, if you're a college football fan, get the app. Um, we have you covered with news. We're a little ridiculous about it. Yeah, I I agree. Roto World is is one of the finer places to get news and always has been in my book, which is why it's such a pleasure to get you on, man. Um, I want to thank you for taking time out of your day, and uh, I hope that as the the year plays itself out and you and I can kind of look back on some of these predictions, maybe we'll revisit them later in the year and talk about, woof, what were we thinking there? or we can pat ourselves I'd love that. on the back. I'm I'm down with that. Done. Done and done. I'd love to come back, Josh. All right. Well, 
Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Hyrule Huddle. My name is Josh Webb. He is Thor Nystrom. And I will be back later with a look back at Stanford USC with my buddy Sean Rose, who is an offensive line guru and works with many of the athletes, actually, that uh, USC has recruited. So he, he, he works with them on a personal level. So I'm going to have him on to talk about Stanford USC, and we will be back next time here on Hyrule Huddle.